that's dope. This podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens and Bullish. Please stay tuned for more information on both of these amazing companies later in the episode. In a world of nearly endless layer ones, it's difficult to differentiate yourself, but Ilya Polosuchin of Near has very, very compelling answers as to why they are so, so different. So there are seemingly an endless string now of layer ones being developed. How do you differentiate yourself from the other ones? So... We started kind of at the bottom of it, right, as developers wanting to build uh, on blockchain. And from our perspective, even right now, the people don't focus on things that, you know, as a developer you want, right? As a developer, you want a simple-to-build platform, something that you can come in with whatever programming language you can build on and start building. You want something that users can really easy to use, right? Like they should not need to figure out how to buy crypto on an exchange, install Chrome extension, all the stuff before they into it, right? They should be really easy to onboard. It should be secure and it should be scalable, right? Like somebody else becoming a successful app should not make your app super expensive and impossible to use. And so reality is there's still kind of, you know, not much focus on these properties. And that's what you know, in near we focus on. Right, we you know use WebAssembly, which is kind of a framework that is used by all the browsers. There's you know a huge community of developers beyond Web3 that are building tooling and compilers for. We just launched JavaScript support, so you actually any JavaScript, right? There's 20 million developers who know JavaScript can actually write smart contracts for Near. Oh wow! Our onboarding is designed Web2 style. You know, login with Near similar to login with Google or Facebook kind of that flow. Underneath there's crypto, all this, you don't see any of this. You don't see private keys. Like if you don't want to, you don't see seed phrases, you can have email recovery. Um, and then, you know, focusing on security, making sure it's bulletproof, it's, you know, stable. Um, like we did a lot of research across a lot of protocols. We have our own whiteboard series on YouTube where we actually talk with a lot of them. And so really focusing on worst case scenario, focusing on kind of protecting against that. And then scalability, right? Uh, at the end, you know, one machine cannot process everything that people will throw at it, right? And so you need to start kind of pr- parallel processing, but you want it to still be simple. And, you know, there's a lot of scalability solutions which say, well, there's this chain, there's that chain, app chain rollup, whatever, whatever you call it. At the end, it's separate environments that as a user now I need to know about. And what we focus on, how do we create a singular environment that you as a user don't need to know what's underneath? There's shards, there's, you know, cross-shard messaging, all the stuff. You don't need to know about it. You just use it up. More shards are added as more capacity needed. Kind of similar how Web2 works. You know, you don't think about, you know, how many data centers Google have. You don't think about, you know, that some data centers work or not, right? You don't need to think about any of this. So this is kind of, you know, philosophical focus is different from our perspective. And then it results in very different decisions on the, on the protocol. How close do you think we are to actually living in a world where a random person who's not crypto native, has no technological understanding, can actually engage? So we have people who have no technological understanding. Like, I mean, some of the stories I've, I've seen, somebody interviewed some of the users, like people from factories, people in the services industry in the Philippines, you know, using apps on near, onboarding, you know, 
earning money from like there's a job marketplace pretty much that they can engage with um, already right now. We have Sweatcoin, which has 100 million users, uh, non-crypto. Uh, they already onboarded 10 million users on Near. So we are there. Like we like they don't need to understand private keys. They don't need to understand like even crypto. Uh, we have also Aurora Plus that launched that you know you don't need to have even Ether or near to send transactions, no transaction fees, just sign up with an email and get going, right? So we pushing it pretty much to a limit on what is a real experience should look like for the user that you don't need to think about blockchain. You just use the apps, you just get, you know, get the experience. And then over time, you learn about the properties, you learn about the uh, kind of all the things you can do. Right. I mean, UX and UI have continued to be the biggest problem, yeah. for, in my opinion, for mainstream adoption. Exactly. That, that's the problem that needs to be solved. Well, obviously, you're working on it. I just think it's too scary for most people or confusing. So, I mean, we, we're addressing a lot of confusion part. Scary part is still there. And this is actually kind of looking forward for this year. A lot of my focus is how do we build better security model that is... So right now, there's kind of two worlds, right? There's a you trusting bank or whatever exchange to hold all your assets, or you're trusting yourself. But now, if you lose the seed phrase, if you lose the ledger, if you you know whatever happens, you lost everything. Or somebody you know somebody attacks a computer and, and manages to uh, recover it. And so this is two worlds. This you know like this is black and white. We should be somewhere in the middle. We should be uh, giving users options to self-custody, not allow somebody else to you know, withdraw their funds and do whatever they want with them, but still be able to recover. And so part of the benefits, for example, for Near, we, our account model is not single key, single account. We actually have, like your account is you know, named account, like mine is Ilya.Near, and underneath there's a lot of keys with different permissions. And so I can have a bank's key, you know, my friend's keys, whatever, I want to set up as, as a recovery method that only can recover a new key with a delay, with a, you know, with some cooldown period. Right. And so pretty much if I lose it, I can go and figure out uh, how to recover it. I can also have a model where there's an active threat prevention model that detects if there's like outliers in my transactions. Like all of the things can be added and kind of uh, to protect the user. Similarly, one of the other things we're working on is surfacing information about contracts. Like contracts can be malicious. Like we can actually detect that. Sure. Uh, and so we can surface that in the wallet directly. Like, hey, this contract seems suspicious. You sure you want to transact with it? And so pretty much building the system that protects the user. That's really... Yeah, it's very reminiscent of... There's a lot of problems with Web 2. But, but that's are you happened, sure yeah. you don't want to click... Are you exactly. sure that you want to click this on this website? It's a website, bit, you know, exactly. like if, if you... If you still click, there's a certain <laughs> point at which the onus and the responsibility yeah. is on the user. But in crypto, sometimes it seems we lack those warnings. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, you, you click the link and it's over. It seems like right now we're in a place where I don't know if it's because of the scale of adoption or how much more usage there is, but where a lot of things are breaking. Exactly. So we went from like this. This is like uh, you know nerds and hipsters who were using this. I mean, for a better word, fair. <laughs> to like, holy shit, you know, there is, there is like everybody starting to try to use it at least. And obviously, yeah, they don't understand what they're clicking, right? And, and so it's easier to scam them. It's easier to, uh, you know, people running like phishing ads on Google such that, and people click on that. 
Right? The first three ads, if you used to serve yeah. Unis, uh, Uniswap, would be uh, fishing. Yeah. Fi- exactly. <laughs> and so, and so this, that's why I'm, what I'm saying is like to get to a mass adoption, the next thing is security, is, is protecting the user actively, making sure they're not able to do these things and then creating a more kind of secure environment. Like right. still permissionless, but, but you're also protecting them from themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So it's sort of a different. Uh, you're not necessarily protecting them from the attacker. You're protecting them from making the mistakes that are so common. It's both. It's both. Yeah. Same I mean, time. it's like the, pretty much it's the same. You know, the browsers have security model that does not allow malicious JavaScript to, for example, take over your computer. Right. It's like by doing that, you know, it stops the whole surface of attacks. Yeah. And so this is the same thing. We need, like, in the way wallets and, you know, some of the other tooling is the browser of Web3, and we need to build in protection into it. Yeah. I, I love what you said about it being sort of bipolar or black and white. And I think a lot of things in crypto are viewed that way by the yeah. communities. And everything really is in the gray on the scale. And that, I think, also is true for centralization to decentralization. Exactly. Right, you have this sort of, I guess, the maxi ethos or whatever. They have to be everything has to be fully decentralized. Your own keys, all of these. And then you have the Binance's and fully centralized <laughs> exchanges of the world, and maybe the best things will fall in between. Nobody wants to hear that, seemingly. But well, there's a thing also like decentralization is not very defined, right? What is decentralization, right? This is like running more machines. This is development decentralized. This is like which like there's a lot of aspects of it, and there's also a lot of repercussions of each aspect. Like what does that actually mean? And and indeed for each one of them, it's not a like that's why it's like if we actually build a framework for decentralization, we'll see that it's all black and white, right? It's like well, most of the stuff right now is centralized development. Maybe decentralized nodes, um, but you know, centralized like this and that, right? Like there's a number of things, and then they are have an all on spectrum. I guess it can all be a path as well. It, right? and, 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 and that, so, that's so, really what it is: is you just travel this path start, towards yeah, decentralization. Exactly, yeah. And it's, so we always called it a progressive, like uh, security, progressive decentralization for the users, for example, because you want to start centralized. First of all, as a user who's just starting, you don't have any assets; you don't really care. Like you, it's like you actually can't yeah. start fully, you know, custodial. I've got my fifty bucks. The question is, how easy it is to move out? How easy it is to become secure? And it's actually super complicated in case of you know a custodian or or Binance, right? Let's say you bought a bunch of stuff. Now you need to move it out. It's expensive. This is why, like again, what what we've been trying to do is like, well, okay, you have a custodial key, for example, but now you can flip it and add your non-custodial key if you want and remove custodial key in one transaction. Like, and all of your account is still the same, right? You don't need to move accounts. You don't need to tell everyone that you moved out of this custody service. Like, it's still your account. And so for me, Web3 in general is not about decentralization per se. It's about low switching costs. How do we deliver low switching costs across everything? Because this is what Facebooks and Googles, et cetera, are. They are a high switching cost data mode platforms. This is what banks are. They're a high switching cost platform that, you know, leverages their resources. And so decentralization is a tool to achieve low switching costs, right? Having multiple wallets, having multiple nodes, having multiple RPC, having multiple of everything means that we can switch everything. But the value we're delivering to users is that they're not locked in, and that means every of these participants are constantly on their toes to compete for the user because as soon as they do something stupid or start being rent-seeking, people will switch. Right. Is there a certain point at scale where you start to be concerned that things would break down. It's very easy, I think, at this point. We did talk about originally nerds and hipsters and we're sort of on our way to to the mainstream, but that's very different than half a billion 
or a billion or two billion people starting to interact in some meaningful way with crypto? So, I mean, this is our, our posted goal is one billion and we're 1% there. Um, they, for me, like, I mean, there's still a ton of stuff to build. Honestly, like, yeah, we're not ready yet, but, you know, the definitely the goal is to be ready and kind of build in all of this, both like on the scalability side, on security side, and on simplicity still, right? On all of this vectors kind of continuously advancing what we can do so we can get to a billion. I want to tell you guys about an amazing product that I literally use every single day. Athletic Greens sent me some AG1 to test out and I absolutely am hooked. I started taking it every single morning. And if you're like me and you need energy to, I don't know, write a newsletter, hit Twitter, look at some charts, chase your kids around, hit the gym, and you're just not getting that boost in the morning, this product is perfect for you. It has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens. It's basically like having nine products in one. I guarantee if you guys try AG1, it is going to absolutely change your lives. You will become more awesome. And who does not like becoming more awesome? Now, to make this easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com melker. Again, that's athleticgreens.com melker to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Everybody knows that there are advantages to trading on both centralized and decentralized exchanges. But why not choose an exchange like Bullish that offers the best of both worlds? Bullish's total trading volume recently exceeded $25 billion in just seven months since they launched. And they have the best liquidity in the game when it comes to Bitcoin USD. Now, Bullish has released the first major upgrade to its liquidity pool technology with the introduction of a concentrated range-bound liquidity pool for the Bitcoin USD trading pair. This upgrade triples the order book depth within a range of 2%, making it one of the world's deepest Bitcoin USD trading pairs. This industry-leading order depth means you can trade confidently at scale with clearly understood price impact. You should check them out immediately at bullish.com slash Melker. How did... I, I, I get where you're at now. When we were talking before, I said, so where are you from? And you said, <laughs> nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> How did you end up sort of, I guess, in crypto in the first place, deciding that this is what you wanted to do and now being a complete digital nomad who's all over the planet every day? So, I mean, it started, uh, so we were doing actually AI startup and uh, we, one of the products on kind of uh, tools we built was a crowdsourcing platform that had people around the world. We had people in China, Cuba, Russia, Ukraine, and it actually really hard to send money from US to all of these places, right? And so we actually started looking at blockchain as can we, you know, it sounded like a global payment system, can we use it? And the answer was not. And I mean, be, beyond that, like coming from open source, coming from kind of this open spirit, we wanted to build an open platform that people can contribute value, can, you know, leverage it to, to generate kind of data, different data sets of different problems. And the reality was like, it's really hard to build. It's really hard to use. Like it doesn't scale. It's too expensive for microtransactions that th this were. And so we kind of started looking over every single protocol and trying to analyze it. That's why we did like whiteboard series and kind of almost investigating what are, what are the protocols doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it resulted in like, well, 
there's nothing that addresses this like core problems in the way at least we believe um and kind of in this like more philosophical like a lot of people said like hey we have a new consensus let's you know let's ship a new consensus and it's like cool but consensus is not really the core of a problem right consensus may be part of the solution but it's not a problem and so that's why like well let's start with a problem and let's start designing so like in many ways we actually we shipped first a platform for developers like literally no consensus no sharding nothing just had this environment where you can write contracts and you know ship thing we actually i don't know like three or four months in we had internal hackathon where we had applications on near what was that back then already launched like that people can use that that was the whole thing there was no consensus nothing right. like it was just like a, you know it's running a single machine like a box but that was a developer environment that we wanted. And so from there, we started designing kind of how it should run underneath. And we like we had a couple of false starts. We implemented like four different consensuses. We implemented two different sharding. Like I at some point deleted 20,000 lines of code <laughs> because we're like, oh shit, this doesn't work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was not fun at the moment. But this is kind of, you know, because we had this environment where we already had contracts, like we actually, our testnet runs from April 2019 nonstop like we launched in in uh, October 2020 like we had testnet nonstop upgrades you know through everything different consensuses different sharding nonstop for this period of time because we had developers already trying to build stuff on testnet and so yeah I mean I think like coming to now right I mean the ecosystem is global right uh, we have already five different regional hubs like you know full-on kind of fund product labs marketing in different places we have eco funds we we have you know kind of folks like doing meetups etc and there's conferences like there's so much going on that ecosystem is so global um you know every, every pretty much like i think we're not on every continent just yet uh we need we need to get uh, the antarctica covered but uh you know the everything else is is there's something going on in the ecosystem and so it's kind of really hard to be in one place because there's so much interesting stuff so many people and kind of going around and, and meeting with everyone and and uh, seeing how I can help as well uh, has became my job so is this all you do or do you actually have time to have a hobby or do anything <laughs> for fun <laughs> I mean I think like traveling is fun at least uh, right. for a bit but uh, yeah I mean mostly this this is really exciting and there's a lot of exciting projects I think kind of because we started from this like hey we want to build stuff on blockchain uh, I'm really excited about the stuff on blockchain, right? And so that's why I'm kind of going around and meeting people who are building really different use cases uh, and, and seeing how I can help has became a very, like, yeah. it's exciting part of the job. It's a totally new world because yeah. they're not your employees. Yeah, right? yeah, These yeah. are just people who have chosen to, are passionate about your ecosystem and have chosen to build on it and you want to go meet them. Exactly. It's really cool. <laughs> it's, I mean, gone are the days of like a centralized office and you sit there and you guys have your meetings <laughs> and you're the boss and you tell everybody to go get coffee. It, I, it's just incredible. You can build something this big now in this world. Was that because of COVID? Um, so we were actually going like we were going distributed and we, I would say the eventuality of, of the decentralization of organization uh, was there as well. Like from the start, we were designing that like, hey, we're going to launch the, pro the first version of protocol. Uh, I mean, there's obviously going to be tons of work afterwards, but we're going to some, in some way decentralize. And so what happened actually, a lot of initial team 
spun out to build projects on top of Nier. Right? We have folks who you know, spun out to build DeFi. We have folks who spun out to do kind of some NFT stuff. We have folks who are doing some other infrastructure on top, right? like private shard. And so that was kind of part of the spirit. Like a lot of people we brought in originally were entrepreneurs. Like they you know, had companies before, or, you know, wanted to do a company before, and we're just like, join us. Let's build together this infrastructure that then everybody on top can build. And you can go and fund your own uh, enterprise on top of this infrastructure. And that's kind of what happened. And so because of this, yeah, like I'm not a boss of anyone, but there's a lot of folks who I worked with before who now are building their own things that I'm excited to work with. So obviously there's a lot more new folks coming in as well. And so you have this really kind of, um, I mean, it's somewhat planned, right? Obviously it always happens at the wrong time, <laughs> I would say. Sure. But like uh, it was somewhat planned that we're gonna, gonna really just decentralize our own team and become like, uh, you know, lots of pieces in a whole kind of ecosystem puzzle. I call it an open Google model. So I worked at Google and at Google, actually internally, you have a lot of teams working together in different ways. The infrastructure in Google inside is open. You can see everybody's else source code. You can build on top of any other service. You just need to be inside. And the idea here is like, well, what if we open this model? What if we actually have a you know, common services, common platform, everybody can build on everybody's stuff, but it's open, anybody can join, and you have economic incentives around. And not just the platform incentive, but actually each company and team can have its own you know, token to align, and people can you know, uh, work together through that. So actually creating a more direct uh, incentivization structure. How do you disincentivize bad actors from coming in and building something? Well, I mean, I don't think you can completely disincentivize, right? This will happen. Um, I think the general, generally part of it is culture, right? Like just we've set up a lot more kind of, hey, this is a builder. You know, it's, it's not a hype culture. It's not a, you know, people kind of running crazy, making ton of money. Uh, type of culture that that in itself you know there's other other places where that culture exists where people who want to make a quick buck go in result and then on the other side is um, I mean all the security and, and other things that we're gonna be working in like it's just you know as as you kind of go beyond when everybody knows everyone to you know there'll be a lot more projects that kind of coming out of nowhere we need kind of a more we need to use the blockchain for the coordination, right? Like we, we build this coordination engine, which is blockchain. So we can use it to actually coordinate and desensitize devices, right? We can have people reporting suspicious things. We can have, you know, whitelists and blacklists on chain that everybody else can use in their software, in their wallets. We can have all those things that are governed by community, that are governed by token holders. And so through that, you can actually build in some of the systems as well. Are market conditions, as far as price, relevant at all to building or is does the same excitement remain regardless of the price of the token or because obviously there's people you know, tokens a certain price it's very exciting all yep. of a sudden 80 percent of your <laughs> net worth or what you believe you had is gone does that dampen the excitement or do you think that people are really just continuing to build because they know that so near started we started in august 2018 so right. we were started when things Dead were going depths of the bear market yeah well actually it was like <laughs> it was on, going on the, down on the slide yeah, yeah, of yeah, down yeah, yeah, yeah like everything was going down and continue going down and so like for, i think for a lot of the kind of the ecosystem it's kind of like oh yeah bear market great now we can focus and can build for long term versus you know trying to like optimize for short term obviously you know there's like 
economically, there is some things where like uh, uh, kind of things crashing means they cannot go as fast and as as like scale up as fast as they want to. Um, and then needs to be accounted. But I think like being able to focus on on a more longer term, you know, sustainable business model, sustainable token economics, I think is is a big benefit here. Right? Again, it's the amount of you know advice I got from the ecosystem before is like, oh, you know, just zero out prices for the you know transactions, do this and that, just to go faster. And so I think like that kind of stops. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and like for example, for Near, we have designed our token economics, you know, at, at, during bear market with you know like what is a, like a sustainable token economic model of layer one will look like, right? And how how it should uh, you know become sustainable through that. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it was perfectly designed, obviously not. We learned a lot through past years, uh, kind of how token economics in general work. But like those kind of things is is. During bull market, everybody forgets about it and just of like course. let's try to go faster, and then kind of we come back to like oh actually let's let's build for future, let's build for sustainability. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And you talked about having to once delete twenty thousand lines of code. Yeah, what happened there? Well, so we actually build uh, a different sharding mechanism originally, uh, actually closer to what East Two was planning to do before. And we realized, like, we actually built it. We started running it, and we realized there's a lot of problems with with uh, with that design around like asynchronicity and kind of uh, finality and stuff. And so that's where we're like, okay, we need to redesign all this. And uh, this is why, like, our current design is very different. It's it's actually just one chain that in the shards blocks instead of having lots of different chains. Just creates very simple model for everyone to understand as well as simple model to implement like the the thing is like it's really easy on the whiteboard or in the white paper to write some stuff and then when you start implementing it realize it's like super complicated <laughs> and you cannot get it to work um i mean you can but it's gonna take you, you know, years and yeah like train will leave by that time so yeah that was it. like we implemented it, we started testing it and realized it's like it's way too complex and it's way too um like a- asynchronous for anyone to be able to then later debug and, and kind of understand it because we also need to build and you know now that we actually have multiple companies contributing to the code like you need to build it such that more people are able to work with it I think Bitcoin actually had a really uh, like in one sense Bitcoin has this like it's actually a very simple protocol and any you know de- like reasonable developer can understand it and like you can actually build your own like Bitcoin Model. I mean, obviously, right now it's the, the implementation is way more complex because they're handling a lot of edge cases. But the kind of basics of it is very simple. As we're going into this like more scalable platforms, they're all very complex now, and so it's important to keep them as simple as possible so you can attract more developers to contribute, to understand, to build on top. So it feels like we're trying to do everything all at once in this space, which I think is a good problem to yeah. have. Are there glaring things that you think that are being built that blockchain is just not needed or does not fix? Um, well, I think, so for me, it's not about blockchain. I mean, blockchain is a fundamental piece of Web3, but Web3 in general is like a, like, I do think everything should move into Web3. That doesn't mean that everything should run on blockchain, obviously. Right, so there is storage that, you know, can use the blockchain for coordination, but, you know, you're, st- you're going to run completely different hardware. You know, AI machine learning 
not going to do it on blockchain. You're not going to run machine learning models on blockchain. Right. But you can use the coordination and payment and stuff like this, but you're still going to have, you know, customized hardware, you know, super optimized to do the inference. So, but I think the benefit of coordination, the benefit of openness is there. And uh, I think that part is, it requires a pretty fundamental shift on how, like, let's say I'm a company and I want to go into Web3, you need to kind of shift your business model, you need to shift your mindset to do that. Like, that's why I'm, like, I'm, I'm curious to see how Meta will pull it off, but I'm not optimistic at all, right? Yeah. Because... <laughs> the, I, it's my, like, common joke is, like, if I have to live in the Zuckerverse or some decentralized Web3 <laughs> Metaverse that we create, I'll take my chances <laughs> over here for sure. Um, and if anyone wants to become a developer, become a part of the ecosystem, how do they do that? Uh, I mean, near.org, there's really good docs. Uh, we now have JavaScript, which is amazing. Um, I mean, you can build in Rust, you can build in like uh, Solidity with Aurora. Um, so yeah, go to near.org, follow to developers. There's grants. There is uh, you know joining community as well. So uh, start start your journey now. Awesome. We'll see you in the next city. All right. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't already left a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do that now. Spotify just added rating, so please go ahead and click that five star. I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>